Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction uh, 676. Science Faction Reverse Vaccines and the Cancer Scams. Reverse vaccine, is this like a um, an unsatisfying vaccine position that nobody will use because it's just it's just a leg workout and there's it's really nothing that couldn't be done in another less cardio intensive vac- vaccination. This is a vaccine that if you're a morbidly obese person and you get it, somebody has to go beep, beep, beep the whole time. <laughs> Well, you sent me the articles and uh, reverse vaccine. I know this. I, I can make this joke because this isn't what it's about. Sure. But I first thought of like something like instead of fighting the vaccine, it's not even something that, you know, boosts your immune system or samples. It's something that like openly like it, it gives the uh, the the virus like mutant powers. Like now you have a, now oh. you're it's it's it, it completely just changes that dynamic now it's actually an immune system vaccine that stops your immune system what if it's just like measles because like measles we've talked about this before when you catch measles it actually erases part of your innate immune system that remembers things that is encountered before so a measles infection can actually leave you open to be infected by things that you previously had immunity to what if the reverse vaccine is just measles that, that seems like part of, like, the measles would be part of a one-two punch delivered by uh, an Al-Qaeda-like agent. Oh, I'm sorry. Are we mythologizing sand people, like, like to, like, people who are from the desert? <laughs> yeah. Me, like, I, I went back and were watching old HBO. We really, we really were terrified as a nation of uh, uh, the people of Tatooine. <laughs> That's what that was, right? Oh dear. Uh, by the way, sorry guys that we missed a week last week. That one was on me. I uh, I had an archaeology emergency, so to speak. Had to run up about eight hours north and go do some insane archaeology work. Now, op- this this type of stuff does happen to us sometimes, but I'm usually someplace that's I'm never in civilization, but I'm usually close enough to civilization that we can work it out. In this case, I literally couldn't get a phone call out from the mot- the horrible horrible meth infested motel i was staying in uh and so that was that was just not an option i actually summoned a scientist to help because i was i was worried like where's bobby i haven't received Mm -hmm. the message and and i summoned a scientist to help the scientist apparently said he he showed up to bobby and uh he apparently uh did not want copernicus's help he said (laughs) nope i'd rather stay stuck in this ditch if copernicus wants to go walk i think i did like 12 and a half miles in 100 degrees over pretty rough temperatures at about 4,000 feet elevation. If Copernicus wants to go do that with me, then he's welcome to come. Otherwise, he can shut his, his cartoon voice ass up. See, that's the thing. He has no corporeal body. He would complain every step of the way, regardless. <laughs> but um, anyhow, I want to bring up that uh, I will be gone next week, so I don't know what the heck is sure. going to happen. But I'll be gone next week. I'm going to New York, the Windy Orange, I believe, or something like that, that's where right, everybody's right. walking. Everybody's always walking there. That's that's Bean what town. I understand. Yeah. Yes. By the way, that's that's my that's been my strategy when I meet people from New York because like they walk around like they're Martians, Mark walking along us lowly Earthlings. Yeah. Uh, and so whenever I meet somebody who like you know wearing three Yankees paraphernalia shirt with their thick Brooklyn accents, 
I uh, compliment them on their sweet Boston accent and pretend I've never heard of New York. I thought you guys loved the Red Sox in Boston. What is this? No, you gotta you gotta just confuse other things like New York. Oh, that's where Harvard is, right? Like just <laughs> you Harvard boys. Announce all the great things that aren't in New York and relate it to New York. Yeah. And then after that, I'm going to be getting some testicle surgery. Don't worry, everybody. It's nothing dangerous. I'm not getting anything removed. It's all cosmetic testicle surgery. It's testicle Botox to get rid of the wrinkles. (laughs) I'm having nudicles put in, four of them. Uh, Just, just, you know, the cosmetic thing will... I'm tired of being embarrassed at the dog park, if we're being honest. (laughs) So... I think with my four nudicles in, I'll be more confident. Certainly, I'll have a different uh, walk because it'll be very sure. painful to walk, I, think, I assume, yeah. with four testicles, certainly for the next couple weeks. Uh, but more importantly, there's going to be a shift in the power dynamic of this show as I reign supreme testicularly. Bobby, um, <sighs> you will no longer, I, I mean, you're going to edit the shows, but I'm gonna basically just going to demean you like I'm ordering you to do it, even though you're going to do it anyway. I'm going to like act like you're overbearing boss now. Because I am uh, evolutionary selectedly, testicularly selected to now, be in charge. Now, you're getting like Great Dane nudicles, but let's be honest, you went budget style and you got <laughs> Corgi <laughs> Mix nudicles, and they are not going to intimidate me as much as you think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I plan on a lot of inflammation, Bobby. So <laughs> it'd be funny if Corgi nudicles are elongated. Yeah, <laughs> they're just they're 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 squat. How could you tell, Bobby? Oh, I have a hunch. (laughs) And if you want a hunch about Damien's testicles, go ahead and check out our Patreon. You can search Robert Timothy on Patreon. We get four extra science episodes every single week. But for now, let's move right on to science articles. From molecules to particles, this is Science Articles. By the way, like, do you, do you think if Stephen Novella, do you, do you think like if, if he had to have testicle surgery, do you think he would he would he would respect his audience, be honest enough and open enough about his surgery, and, and just show, he would he would he consider the audience listening as part of the campfire, part of the family, part of the clan, and would want to share that? I'll tell you this right now. One, that guy overpays for nudicles. I'll tell you that. I could just tell. He, that guy pays retail and then some. A nudicle salesman sees him and just sees dollar signs. Oh, yeah. Walking dollars. <laughs> I think there's like an old saying about nudicle salesmen and Connecticut-based allergen medicine specialists. That is uh, pretty uh, applicable here. Born every week. <laughs> Uh, and second of all, he does the thing where he gets, you know, like when Anna Nicole Smith got big fake tits, they looked big and fake, but, but she had a bigger body. And so they looked more realistic on her. He's going to do the thing where it was like a, a really skinny chick, uh, who ends up getting the giant fake boobs and it just looks weird. Like he is going to vow to get the great Dane nudicles and it's just going to look weird on him. They're going to be like, you're not suited for such large balls, sir. You won't even fight podcaster Robert Timothy to the death uh, over your infraction. So if it, uh, he comes out, uh, uh, Stephen Novello puts out like an emergency announcement. Uh, show, he shows the text messages where you're the one running away from the fight. <laughs> He releases footage of him, like, shattering three concrete blocks. <laughs> like, I'm ready for you, Mr. Timothy. I've been training with George St. Pierre, my training partner. Ironically, he used the nudicles to do it. He has this <laughs> slapping move. 
that <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I that it's it's a it's like a, a like a, a a David sling almost, except uh, I guess it's also it's a it's a sack breaking sacks, I guess yeah. breaking melons, breaking blocks. <laughs> Article number one: Reverse vaccines may be the cure to autoimmune diseases. Yes, because as we discussed earlier, it is because it attacks your immune system. Uh, allowing the virus to win. The, that, That's right. When you say like anti, there's only so many ways it could be anti. I'm anti-vaccine, meaning I I help. I'm I'm a reverse vaccine. You mean a reverse vaccine? A reverse yes. vaccine. I'm not helping the immune system. I'm helping yes the, the virus. Yeah, I, it does seem like that. And I I will I will say this is incredibly interesting. It's one of the reasons they chose it for our main article. When I read this, I was like, holy shit! This is this is awesome. And also. Possibly the cure to a shit ton of horrible diseases that we have little to no real treatments for. This is absolutely amazing. So real quick, let's review what an autoimmune disease is. It is where your own body's immune system attacks part of your body. And we've got a bunch of them. Type 1 diabetes is where your body's immune system attacks certain parts of your pancreas and your the cells that you use to keep regulate your, your blood sugar. And then, you know, you can die from that quite easily if you're not treated. Things like multiple sclerosis is where your body's immune system is attacking the myelin sheaths on your neurons. And that's like the insulation on the wiring that is in your brain. And when you chew away that insulation, the signal gets lost a little bit. And you start losing signal and you eventually can die from that. Crohn's disease. Crohn's disease, where it's attacking your bowels, rheumatoid arthritis, where it's attacking your joints. There is a ton of autoimmune diseases. And it's basically where your and a lot of times it starts because you have some kind of injury or some kind of uh, disease and your body learns to attack that disease. And again, the reason everybody doesn't have these autoimmune diseases is they're usually the edge cases, right? So let's say everybody gets a cold or what were we finding before? Uh, Epstein-Barr is a big cause of a lot of immune, a lot of autoimmune diseases. A bunch of people get Epstein-Barr, almost everybody gets it at some point. A bunch of people get it, but some small percentage of people who get it, their immune systems learned to recognize the binding sites, the antigens on the Epstein-Barr, and when it learns to recognize that, it accidentally confuses those antigens with ones that are on parts of your own cells, some part of your body. Because again, you got a lot of different types of cells in your body. And then it attacks that part of your body. And there's some evidence that certain brain diseases like Alzheimer's might be, you know, related to this as well. But regardless, there are a ton of really bad autoimmune diseases. And right now, like if it's type one diabetes, what we can do is give you insulin. But all we're doing is treating the symptoms. We're not actually, you know, stopping your body from attacking those cells in your pancreas. So at right now, the only solution we have to autoimmune diseases is basically drugs that knock down your immune system. And you can guess a lot of reasons why that's a bad idea, you know, especially when you're in pandemics and all this other stuff. You know, having an autoimmune disease puts you at risk for other things because in order to effectively treat it, some of which could be fatal without treatment, you have to essentially fuck up the thing that keeps you from getting fucked up by other diseases. So an Epstein-Barr crime wave hits the body that is your city. Sure. Your city, the, your city b- bumps up its police force. You know, it doubles right. down. It, it says like, "Are right, you, you know that rule book we assigned every one of you? Get rid of it. We don't need it anymore. We're fighting. Throw it out the window." And then all of a sudden, once the virus is done, this it has nothing to do. So, so you wind up with the police department that's militarized, that's uh, uh, shooting harmless bowel cells. Yes, <laughs> for exactly. carrying a, a, a gun. Yeah. Exactly. And you could see why 
this could be harder to treat sometimes than outside diseases because no matter how bad you know a virus is or a bacteria is, you treat it. And usually, obviously, we have things like long COVID and stuff, but usually, which, by the way, might be an autoimmune disease in itself, but but usually after you, you treat the disease, it goes away. You're done, right? That bacteria is out of your body. That virus is out of your body. You're fine. If you get an autoimmune disease, you might have it for the rest of your life. You might then, you know, forever have a problem with your own body, essentially trying to kill parts of yourself. And that's a real big problem. Uh, we, we've we actually talked about it on this show. I remember like uh, uh, hookworms, like they were like, there's hookworm therapy and there's all sorts yeah. of parasite therapy that you give your body something to fight. Basically, like you give you give that police department like the mafia. You're going yeah. after Cosa Nostra. You're going after Al-Qaeda. Get, stay off of our ass. Go get this tapeworm in my belly and stop going after my goddamn pancreas, you motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> It is really hard to fight. So this idea of a reverse vaccine, which, by the way, I'm going to go ahead and admit I had never heard of anything like this before, uh, which makes sense because it's actually most of the the stuff we had worked in this vein were in very specific cases, edge cases of mice and like, you know, lab animals and stuff like that. This animal will not come. No matter what we do, this is this is an edge case mouse. If I've ever seen one, Damien imagined edge case meaning. Oh, dear. <laughs> Have you tried the balls? I am his ass. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Sometimes I pull on the tail. That's 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 usually that's the mouse yeah. equivalent. <laughs> yeah. Did, wait, did somebody already come? X two seven nine dash four two. Nobody came. Among- he has not been come. Oh, this is the sting of mice. He's just <laughs> just edging him the whole time. Do you think he doesn't find me attractive? So in this case, they were looking at mice with a condition that the autoimmune condition that attacks their myelin sheath, similar to what MS does in human beings. But this one's called experimental autoimmune encephalomitis, or EAE, and this is a condition that's only in mice. We don't we don't have it in people. And before they had worked with, okay, how do we essentially get these mice to be desensitized to the antigens that are on the surface of their own cells, of their myelin sheath? And the way they would do it was kind of take little myelin, like cut up myelin sheath proteins and basically like deposit them into the animal over and over again and overload the system. And situations like that worked a little bit, like they kind of worked for the mouse models, but we could find nothing that would work like that in humans. That's never really worked well with any human autoimmune diseases. And one of the reasons we think is, first of all, it wasn't super effective in the the mouse models. Uh, But one of the reasons we think is it wasn't really getting to the right spot. And so what these researchers wanted to do is wondered like, all right, what if we can target this better? Instead of just like injecting you with a bunch of these fucking protein filaments from stuff that is cutting you up, what if instead we could attach like the specific antigens, the specific ones that you're binding to, to a place where we know the immune system is reacting to and is going to get better accustomed to it, i.e. the liver? How do you do that? Well, injecting it directly in there isn't that effective. What if instead... We put it on, you know, a carbohydrate, specifically a sugar, like a really specific sugar on the end of it that we know will go and get absorbed into the liver and then be deposited there. And then all of the immune cells that need their training can get trained up in the liver and realize that this thing, this antigen, isn't actually a foreign invader. This is part of your own body and you can kind of basically become accustomed to it. So they did it with this mice, these mice that had the EAE, and it ended up working. It ended up starting to relieve their symptoms and what a fucking amazing idea now look i was the mouse able to come <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean after the... 
but it was only after he left the police, uh, not the the, ba- the band, the police, not the group oh. we were talking about before that was going crazy within one's own body. <laughs> I never considered that Malice just might have been just a huge stink fan. Yeah, it could have just, he's just edging the whole time. Uh, he's a musician? <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, now... This is incredibly promising. It's just in mouse models for now. So as a heads up, this is so far away from being like the the one-shot treatment for all autoimmune diseases. Also, by the way, and this was something I didn't know. I had to actually look this up. I read this in the article in passing, and I was like, really? No way. And Damien, get this. We actually don't know what antigen our immune system is attacking for most autoimmune diseases. Like, I would have thought that regardless of what it was, we would know the exact antigen and what's going on. And then all we have to do is, you know, pull that antigen out and attach the sugar and get it into the liver. No, we know it's attacking this cell or this protein. We don't know the exact binding site that it's that our immune system is actually attacking, which is kind of crazy to me. It seems like we would, we would have known that a long time ago. So until we find that out, we actually can't use this technique because you don't know which antigen to bind to that carbohydrate and put through the body, put into the liver. But but if you did and you were to, to this kind of like leads the path down to, okay, well, let's find this out. Then let's start doing more trials. Let's try it in humans and all this stuff. We're a ways down the road, but what an amazing concept, the idea of a reverse vaccine. And it looks like this research, at least according to this paper, has figured out the broad basics of how to build one. Is uh, does all the money you know uh, still just go to erection pills? Is there not just not enough money in the uh, in the funding of you know, or is it just a mystery? Like, hey, you know, is like just as your science teacher would just tell you, there are some things that that us scientists just aren't meant to understand. Well, all my money still goes to the erection pills. If that's what you're asking, <laughs> I'm old now. They have, this applies to me. Guys, it's super interesting because who would have thought the idea of a reverse vaccine wouldn't have even made sense if you just said it. And then the second you go, oh, for autoimmune disease, it's like, of course, that's exactly what we need. We need something that detrains the immune system from attacking something, in this case, parts of your own body. Really, really neat. Obviously, autoimmune diseases are a major, major problem. The biggest part of that problem being that we're just treating the symptoms, not the causes, and that they are essentially lifelong. And the idea that those diseases, which can be horrible, especially if you have them for life, you know, could be one sugar shot, so to speak, away from going away is fucking amazing. Detraining sounds like a torture meant for autistic people. Or short for dick training. <laughs> Again, back to the boner <laughs> pills. <laughs> I want to see, I want to see, you know, I, I'm, you know, we need a curves for dudes. What do we call it? Poles? Rods? <laughs> Or something, but uh, but like a place because I'm tired of going to the local Y uh-huh. and trying to work out my erection. Yeah, and you know I t- I secure the weight, I I get the preferred phone pornography ready, and I start my training. And the looks I get from from it's always women who don't understand who expect this they they expect this double standard. Yeah, that well the, here's the problem, Damien is uh, you're doing like the Ivan Drago D training. I do the Rocky D training. I'm tying my dick to logs in the snow and just dragging it. You know, I'm, I'm I, my my dick is flopping up the steps in Philadelphia in front of the Liberty Bell. You do have a point. I do like give my erection an injection and then just I'm speeding on a treadmill, like <laughs> uphill on a ridiculous incline. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's just some Russian general watching you, going, "If he comes, he comes." <laughs> <laughs> All right, workout's over today. Good, good workout. Hit the showers and shower off that machine. <laughs> 
Article number two, do cancer screenings increase lifespan? Bobby, are we going to continue the episode? I, we're just pushing rope. I just came, like, comedically, metaphorically, uh, uh, I came. Like, the, now, now I'm just pushing rope. Who's this for? Who's this next article for? Oh, <laughs> uh, dear. So... This is a super interesting article. It's actually, I'm going to let you know right off the bat, highly controversial. A bunch of experts came out after it was published and was like, well, here's what's wrong with it. And there were some rebuttals and back and forth. I actually think that's some of the most interesting articles are the ones that, that have some controversy to them. But this is an interesting article that came out that suggests that cancer screenings, at least some of them, don't extend life at all. Now, it's really interesting the way we did it. Now, the thing of the cancer screenings that we do that you're familiar with, right? Most people know about like mammograms. Most people know about multiple types of prostate exams, like that kind of stuff, right? Those are all cancer screenings. We're looking for evidence of cancer. And we have found in recent years that there are some amount of those that are probably not beneficial. Some are even detrimental. You know, we have talked about mammograms from women under 40 and how maybe that's actually not so great. Maybe the things we're finding aren't likely to become cancer and it's not likely the to be. The pervert an... doctor community completely disregards this information. They think that I gotta women. Say, I thought about that with all the people who disagreed. Yeah, listen, I'm a, you know, as the world's preeminent uh, OBGYN as he has a cigar in like his fucking office. Yeah, I think uh, your women as young as 19 should be getting mammograms, maybe 18, on their 18th birthday. I highly recommend coming in and getting a mammogram from yours truly, baby. Oh, dear. That guy sounds like he's from New York City, the first state. <laughs> so... Uh, this study looked at <laughs> six different screenings for four different types of cancer, breast, lung, prostate, colorectal cancer. And they found that out of all of the screenings they did, again, only six, so this isn't all of them, out of all of those cancers, that only one, which we've talked about on this show before, a sigmoidoscopy, was the only one that extended life at all, and it only extended life three months. Now- I would love it if you accused that same New York doctor- of like, hey, doctor, um, can I have, uh, I, I, do you do colorectal examinations? I, I just, in my head, you know, it runs in my family. Do I do, you call me gay? You Like, he is so malfree. He can't even understand what medicine is. <laughs> so, <laughs> at the pathological level. Listen. But that's what it's like being from the city of New York, the city of Harvard and the Patriots. I am here, the best doctor in the Big Easy. Just trying to save women's lives. <laughs> so the the idea is that a lot of these screenings aren't going to have total effects. Now, there's a lot of argument as to how the study was done and, and, all, and a bunch of stuff about it, which we're going to get into, which is really interesting. But the overall idea of it is, much as we have found that mammograms for women under 40, maybe not so much, maybe not so great, colonoscopies, as we discussed a big article pointing out that colonoscopies essentially don't really do anything vis-a-vis, you know, versus sigmoidoscopies, which is like kind of the first half of the colonoscopy and the one you don't have to go under for or anything like that. Everything you're going to find, you're going to find in the sigmoidoscopy and everything after that is like extra credit that doesn't get you anything. I don't know. No, I have to uh, give her these uh, these colonos needless colonoscopies every once in a while to prove to the medical board that I'm not some sort of pervert or nothing. <laughs> yeah, so there you go, Mr. Johnson, your old 80-year-old dude ass. 
is uh, safe. Yeah, no cancer. Now bring on the next 18-year-old. By the way, I do want to point out that this is not for all cancers or all screenings. There are things that are very clearly effective at extending life. Some of them are things like skin cancer screenings, right? So like if you are uh, go to a, if you have like moles or you're, you know, have a lot of precancerous stuff and you go regularly to a dermatologist who looks at that, that stuff actually absolutely works. And skin cancer is absolutely a killer. And finding the irregularities when they become skin cancer will definitely save lives and save time. But this is looking at those cancers that we just mentioned and at only six specific tests for them. Now, the response, the rebuttal from many in the medical community was that they didn't look at just cancer deaths. They looked at all-cause mortality. So meaning if they looked at somebody and you know they would have gotten screened for, let's say, some type of cancer that would have killed them in their early 70s, let's say, but instead they got screened for it and then that cancer got removed and then they survived that cancer. But then instead of living to like the normal age, like the normal average age of like 80, if instead they had a heart attack and died at 75... Well, then they only gained, you know, five years from it on average. That kind of balances out and stuff. And what they were saying is, well, that's not fair because then all it takes is a few extra like heart attacks in that cancer group to basically skew the numbers so much that it doesn't matter. And the response is, yeah, but again, we're talking about how many years this really saves. And so this is what we would look for, because if we're doing all this work and all this screening and the surgeries and stuff to get somebody who is 70 years old and remove their cancer, if they would die five years later from a heart attack, well, then that should be factored in. We've only given them five extra years. Like that is part of the deal. And this is it's really interesting because this isn't necessarily an attack on the science or how the science is done. It's almost on the philosophy behind the science of what you are trying to measure. And the rebuttals to it seem to be like, hey, well, this isn't fair because, you know, hey, we've saved this guy from cancer and theoretically he could have lived to 82 even if he, you know, died from something else earlier than that. And the response is, yeah, but he did die from something else earlier than that. And so that is what we should be measuring. And I think these type of scientific arguments are really interesting because they put into the philosophy of science. What are we trying to do with cancer screenings? We are trying to help people. We're trying to extend their lives, extend their quality of lives. And if it doesn't extend their life, either because they're getting cancer at such an old age that they're going to die of anything, something else anyway, or, you know, because it's not necessarily that effective in the end, well, then maybe we shouldn't be doing it as much. I believe you uh, perhaps purposely left out my very thorough critique that I left in uh, the journal Doctors Who Wear Gold Chains. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> I had to earn this. I had to go to medical school. I didn't get this as a freaking intern or not. But I went to NYU's medical school. That's right. The Mile High Medical School. They don't call this Tinseltown for no reason. <laughs> It is a very interesting like argument and debate. I can see both sides of that argument. And I think a lot of what we think of as cancer screenings now might not be as prominent as we get older. I think there'll be other better ones, but I think some of the things we think of now as being so routine, like we talked about, we had a whole article before about colonoscopies and how they're mainly bullshit. Not that they can't find cancer. It's just that you would find almost all the exact same cancers you find with a colonoscopy with a sigmoidoscopy, which is only like half the way up. And you don't have to put the person under, you don't have all the negative downsides. It's not nearly as painful. 
people, way better recovery, more pe- people are more likely to do it, yada, 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 yada. And yet we keep doing colonoscopies seemingly for no reason. And by the way, it's not like anesthesia is doesn't have its own risks and stuff. So for however many people you put under anesthesia for a colonoscopy, you are actually killing some amount of them. So there is this thing where before our idea was, let's see how many different ways we could find cancer. And the idea was just like, if you can find it, it's a good thing. And more and more, it seems like, well, hold on, let's back off. Let's see what we're talking about. By the way, let's see what treatments we do. A lot of times when we're talking about breast cancer things, the screenings, we will end up doing surgeries and stuff for things that will never actually become cancerous. They're like precancerous and they're never going to become cancerous. And again, anesthesia is not no risk. So anytime you have a surgery, you are putting somebody at risk of dying. And if that you know precancerous thing isn't going to kill them, then you are putting them at an unnecessary risk at that sense. So the kind of intricacies of this predictive medicine, it's like future crime, but for medicine and the intricacies of it are really like playing out. And it's almost half science debate, you know, half statistics debate, half is, you know, 150%, but half, you know, scientific philosophy. And it's just, it's so fucking interesting. But we're driving the doctors with gold chains out of business. You're de-incentivizing young men from the Bronx for even becoming doctors. If you're telling us that we got to deprioritize our groping and other invasive inspections. Listen, I'm responsible for the lives of all 8 million people here in the biggest little city in America. <laughs> you, you piece of shit, that was my next one. I was going to say, that was my next one. Damn it. And if I have to see one of those people die, we might as well be, well, you know, our other name, Sin City. <laughs> I come from the land of 10,000 lakes. And let me assure you <laughs> that none of those should be a lake of cancer. <laughs> Except the one in Jersey. Thank you, audience, for coming back to Science Faction 676, where you learned all about reverse vaccines and how some cancer screenings might be more trouble than they're worth. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction 677. Well, that was a fine uh, inspection there, ma'am. Happy 18th birthday. Um, you wouldn't have to need your feet inspected, would you? You've been listening to Science Fiction. Wait, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs>